What if I told you there was a movie adaptation of a Stephen King novel that features a star-studded cast, combines elements of sci-fi, body horror, and alien invasions, and was written and directed by the guy who wrote The Empire Strikes Back? And what if I told you the movie bombed hard enough to kill his next two projects? Would you believe me? Well, you should, because this movie exists. And of course, I am talking about Lawrence Kasdan's Dreamcatcher. Fuck me, Freddy. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, folks, and thank you for joining us tonight on the 78th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. This is the Google Web's premier podcast dedicated to discussing poorly received and or financially unsuccessful films. And tonight's entry in our Flops That Go Bump in the Night series, we'll be talking about one of my favorite guilty pleasures, 2003's Dreamcatcher. Joining me tonight on the pod, as always, are the Thunderous Wizard, who's just returned from his summer cabin in Derry, Maine. Scooby-Dooby-Doo, we've got some work to do tonight. That we do, that we do. And our resident shit weasel expert is none other than Captain Cash. This evening, I am expecting a real fuckery of a podcast. Fuckery, fuckero, whatever. I would, I would expect more of fuckero. A fuckery is a, is a good time. <laughs> this movie was not. Yeah. And we have a special guest tonight, our resident Stephen King expert and former resident of Derry, Maine, Mayor McCheese. I wish I could say something better about this movie. SSDD? SSDD is probably the best I can do. SKDD? Same King, different day? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Sure. You can find me, Chumpzilla, on Twitter at Chumpzilla8. Hit me up. Send me your favorite shit weasel memes. I was really disappointed that hashtag shit weasel didn't have more activity. So let's let's get it going, folks. Oh, you don't Gentlemen, say not a popular hashtag shit weasel? No, sadly we not. Gotta, we got to make it happen. We're going to get shit weasel trending. I also did hashtag Dreamcatcher, and I pulled that one up. It had a little bit of activity on it related to the movie. Um, one of which it's was a... a critique on Melania Trump's Christmas tree. I guess she did it like a red theme one year, like in 2018, and people thought it looked like the the fungus from Dreamcatcher. That's and I'm like, that's really that's funny. Odd. So I, I made the creepy. I just thought I, it was a K-pop band. No, I made a creepy move today. Yeah, that too. But I made a creepy move of liking a two-year-old tweet today just because I thought that was funny. And uh, yeah, Shit Weasel, it, actually, I take that back. It was pretty active, but not related to Dreamcatcher. It was mostly just like, you know, digs at the GOP, oddly enough. But anyway, Thunderous Wizard, where can the listeners find the pod? And please, guys, plug your socials. Well, you can find the pod, uh, not in Derry, Maine. We're out of the quarantine zone. Uh, but on social, at Hops and BO Flops on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find myself at writer tlk on twitter captain cash find me at c-a-p-t-c-a-s-h on most of your social media and mayor mccheese 
where can the oh, listener? I'm, I'm just hanging out in Jonesy's uh, mind office. Are you sure you're not somewhere caught in the tufts of hair of uh, Morgan Freeman's eyebrows? Uh, I, we will talk about this later, but those were fake. He could use some manscaping if that's not the case. But uh, I was te- I was texting Captain Cash last night. Well, all we can talk it. about it now. And I'm eyebrows. fairly certain they really wanted to cast Arlie Ermy as the crazy army general who wanted to commit alien genocide and couldn't get him. They're like, fuck it, keep the eyebrows. That's the selling point. Well, that's what Arlie Ermy is. Just an amazing set of eyebrows. I want to I know how much time in the chair it takes to put the fake eyebrows. And, like, they're not, like, oh, he, like, those look a little odd. They look like they're a solid inch and a half off of his head. I'm, I'm pretty sure they just, like, pulled out some cotton balls. Like, you know, pulled them apart, dipped them in Elmer's glue, and slapped them on his face. So I'm thinking that's, like, a, a three-minute chair exercise right there yeah. for makeup. Looking good, Morgan. Go get it. Yeah. Go act. Voice of God, go do your thing. Okay, uh, so before we get any further in our discussion of Dreamcatcher, we're going to have to have some beer. So that, of course, brings us to the beer for the evening. And for tonight's pod, Mayor McCheese suggested Shipyard Brewing Company's Pumpkinhead. And I think that is a very appropriate beer for tonight's movie. It hails from Portland, Maine, and it's Halloween-themed. An excellent choice, McCheese. Thank you. So this beer is a pumpkin-spiced wheat ale. It pours a clear caramel color with a light head and really no lacing to speak of. It's not too sweet, but it definitely tastes like a wheat beer. The pumpkin and spice flavors are very evident, and it finishes on a sharp, slightly acidic note. So it's pretty drinkable in my opinion, but it's not my favorite, and I'm not a huge fan of wheat beers, and I'm not a basic white bitch like (laughs) Captain Cash. So the pumpkin spice thing doesn't do me a whole lot of favors either. So Listen, I'm going to give own, this. I, I love it. I love no. pumpkin spice. I don't care. Don't, don't no shame. I, I picked it. I picked yeah, the beer. Yeah, no, no shame. But no, I'll, I'll give this a one bad movie rating. It's okay, but I wouldn't drink a whole lot of them. Uh, wait, Gentlemen, me... what's your score? Oh, yeah. Let's sit here. Yeah, I got to crack one, too. To Duddits, everybody. Cheers. R.I.P. Duddits. I done it. I hope he had a Wahlburger before he had to. <laughs> Harvey uh, Wahlburger. Leave this plane of existence. That is pumpkiny. You could definitely I, pound a few of these, but I wouldn't do more than one movie. Anyway, gonna, what's your guys' rating? Come on, give, give us your scores. It's not going to get the job done, but out of all the like local pumpkin beers we get up here in Cleveland, it's not the most like overly aggressive, which is why I like it. Like I can sit there and drink six without feeling like I'm being assaulted by fall. I, honestly, this is very much a wit beer more than it is a pumpkin beer for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I taste more the wit than I do the pumpkin, and I just personal preference here. If it's under seven percent, I just kind of like, eh, why am I doing this? So basically what you're saying there, Captain Cash, is that unless it's steel reserve, don't bother? At least. I need a minimum steel. Like, if you took a pumpkin spice latte and filled it with steel reserve, that's about what I need. Hey, hey, steel reserve. Somebody at steel reserve. Get on. I want pumpkin spice steel reserve. That would be excellent. I would drink that. What about some pumpkin spice icy light? I have no. uh, Oh, yeah. Let's get that. Yeah. I have no beef with the choice. I'm just curious, was there no phallic or vaginal-themed beers? Because this movie is very heavy on that sim- <laughs> on that imagery. 
If I could find a penis snake vagina monster beer, I'd be all over it. Yeah. Yeah. But would I, it have teeth? It would need to have teeth. It would have to. They. they when when are we gonna one. do teeth? Can we do teeth? I want to do te- teeth. No. Teeth. Did teeth. Teeth. It's a horror movie. Teeth. Did teeth yeah. make enough money? Did it make any money? Did anybody well, see? Well, no. It had no bite at the I, box office. Bingo. Oh. Uh, nailed it. Nailed it. Boom. Yeah, they were sold out of uh, Bear Trap Vagina at the local beer store, so. <laughs> I, hey, i just like to point out, this movie gave us vagina monster penis snakes way before Prometheus. That's true. Very true. Uh, but as far as my rating for this, I'm I'm with you, Jumpzilla. This is this is one movie. I'll sit through this, and I'll, I'll, I'll sit through one movie for this kind of thing. I just, it's not that, just not my style. No, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, we've rated the beer, and that brings us to the tale of the tape. And as I alluded to in the intro, this movie has a lot going for it on paper. It's written, directed, and produced by Lawrence Kasdan, who has a fantastic Hollywood resume. And it's based on a Stephen King novel, and the cast is outstanding. Yeah, this movie is a case of, oops, all leading men. Like in in the principal forecast, you get Timothy Oliphant, Thomas Jane, Damian Lewis, and Jason Lee, all of whom within the next year or two go on to lead their own shows. Timothy Oliphant's got Deadwood, Thomas Jane has Hung, Damian Lewis has Band of Brothers, Billions, and a ton of other things, and Jason Lee gets My Name is Earl. This is like this is where they just hit. I don't. This movie didn't cause them to hit, but like st- like a step behind. This movie certainly didn't cause them to hit. And they're lucky it did cause them to not get work ever again because the acting here is awful. It's awful. Yeah. And uh, welcome back to the pod, Jason Lee and TJ. And Bill Goldman, who co-wrote the movie, and I'm shocked because he's one of Hollywood's greatest screenwriters and the dialogue in this movie is beyond bad. It's so bad. It's really like... It's. I feel like it was a test to see how many cliches they could get every single character to utter while when they're not doing that, just saying random shit that makes no sense. Yeah, I think a lot of this stuff was just pulling random crap, what I'm assuming is from the book, and then it doesn't really work because they don't set it up or explain it very well. Uh, Mary McGee, can you confirm that for us? Yeah, I mean, that's why I wanted to jump in. A, a, A lot of the random stuff is pulled from the book so they expect it's almost like they expected you to read the book and then immediately watch this movie to get some of the the comments that make absolutely no sense and if you did that you'd be fairly upset because the movie is so much worse than the book yeah so yet with all that going for it somehow none of it works and the movie just ends up being bloated uneven and yeah obviously poorly written as we've described here uh, this is a movie where the characters fail to talk like normal human beings for most of the movie. I'm looking at you, Jason Lee. He gets some really bad dialogue. And the only character development we get comes in the form of awkward exposition dumps disguised as reminiscing fond memories between friends. It's like they yeah. talk a lot about stuff where just like you could have just flashed back and showed it to us. And we do get flashbacks, but not for any of the stuff that we really want to see. Like, the dialogue to me, like, what they were going for is, these are four guys who have known each other so long, they basically speak their own language, which is great, except it doesn't help the audience in understanding that language at all. Like, do we get an answer for where fuck me Freddy comes from? 
because at least three of the characters utter it four times. No, but it definitely has a hashtag. Huh. So that must be a regional, you know, colloquialism somewhere. Well, as 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 we'll discuss later, that all of those all of those vulgarities are described thoroughly in the book. Yeah, and they kind of hint at that because uh, Mr. Gray does comment on how vulgar uh, Jonesy's mind warehouse, memory warehouse is. But anyway, Dreamcatcher is rated R and has a ridiculous runtime of 134 excruciating minutes. This movie has no business being over two hours long. It was released in March of 2003, and it made $75.7 million on a budget of $68 million. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 28% with a viewer score slightly higher at 35. Metacritic scored it similarly at a 35 with a user score of 5.1. I'll agree with the user score. I would rate this movie at a 5 out of 10. It's dumb fun and the special effects slash creature designs aren't half bad, especially for 2003. And I think my favorite quote from a critic comes from Richard Roper. He said, not since death to Smoochie have so many talented people made such a mess of things. Listen, I, I, will defend, I will defend death to Smoochie. That is a fun movie. It is weird and it wasn't understood when it came out, but it is still worth your time. But yeah. yes, also a lot of talented people are involved in this and it just did not work. Yeah, I, I think death to Smoochie is probably a better movie than this. I'm not going to argue that point, but yeah, I think it's fair to say this should have been better on paper. It had a ton of talent behind it. Uh, you can find the movie Dreamcatcher streaming on most services for between $2.99 and $3.99. But folks, I didn't have to stream this one because as a cultured man with great taste in cinema, I already owned it on Blu-ray. <laughs> Suck it, shit weasels. I, uh, I definitely paid the $5 to Amazon, so now I, too, own this in digital form and can never watch it again. You, you, you bought You it? don't know. Why didn't you, you just you rent see. this? I couldn't. I can't well, wait for it back. to get off my home screen. It was $3 <laughs> to rent or $5 to buy. I'm like, eh, it's two extra bucks, whatever. I love this movie. It's so dumb. It's awesome. For the record... Listeners, last week when I said you could buy a new Nightmare for five bucks and I was ecstatic and I got this face from Captain Cash like, who would buy this movie? And then he bought this turd. So fuck that guy. Well, hold, Chum, on. Chumzilla, Chum, hold on. Chumpzilla put it the best way. This is his Dante's peak. Yeah. <laughs> Shit it weasels. Is, it, it, is, it is that terrible movie you can't let go of. You love it so much. And this is his movie. So let's give him his yeah, time. I mean, that's fair. Rectums erupting. Volcanoes erupting. There's a lot of symmetry yeah. here. There's no yeah. grandma in this one, but we can figure it out. Well, there's it's an okay. old creepy lady. Yeah, and and we get we get the 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 lost hunter guy, you know, that is bloated and weird. Oh, yeah. McCarthy, who McCarthy out the first yeah half and burps. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, I feel so terrible. Okay, yeah. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, folks. So let's talk about this cast. As we've mentioned, it is ridiculous. We've got Damian Lewis as Gary Jones, a.k.a. Jonesy and or Mr. Gray, a.k.a. Mr. Gay. We've got Thomas Punisher Jane as Henry Devlin. Timothy Justified Oliphant as Pete. Jason Brody Lee as Joe Claridon, a.k.a. Beaver. Morgan Motherfucking Freeman as Colonel Curtis. 
Tom, True Matt Sizemore as Owen Underhill, and Donnie, my favorite new kid, Wahlberg, as Douglas Duddits Cavill. Come on, guys. That is Call me Donnie. That's pretty ridiculous. I didn't even know that Duddits had an actual name. That's how woefully underwritten this two-hour and 12-minute movie oh, is. Oh, no. You get his name off his lunchbox in yeah. that first Oh, flashback. yes. Oh, good. You should, good. Pay, you should have paid more. He's their best friend. They don't your... ever learn his actual name. No, they do. They read it off his lunchbox, but then they treat him like he's dead for the rest of the movie. Yes. So we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. So, Which uh, is super weird. Like, it makes no time. sense. Again, Let's describe like, they, in the book. They do it as if they're going to go visit his grave. Oh, we, we're going to go see Duddits. Have you, I've been thinking about him a lot lately. But why wouldn't he come to the cabin with them? Like, why wouldn't exactly. they bring him out? Well, no, he's got no leukemia, sense. so that's a... That's no, a for the last 20 years. For the uh, last true, 20 yes. years. Yeah. And, and at one point, Thomas Jane said, oh, it's been years since I've seen him. I'm like, why? You get together with your other three fucking asshole friends, you're not going to bring your other best friend? Mayor McCheese, explain this so, to us from the book. Okay, so... This is... Part of the book that they skip, and it also plays back into the end, is so you remember the scene where they're trying, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. Sorry, but they're trying to feed Duddits the piece of shit. Well, not yes. not our, not the protagonist, the yes. bullies, yeah, the bullies, yeah, the, the, the bully, and then, the and then our uh, and then our losers club rescues him. Yeah, what was the bully's name? Henry was that his name? And then uh, he became a tool for the killer clown. Uh, it's all running together here. The ideas of this book. Yeah, well, no, I'm, I'm kidding. So, it's so just in, very the, in the book, they, in the book, they they realize there's something a little more than they can uh, understand going on. Where after they save him that first time, he binds them together with the telepathy, and later they all have a nightmare of the dude who was torturing Duddits gets in a car accident and literally gets decapitated, and that happens. Duddits makes that happen. And they all wake up to the news of that happening, and the four friends are like, "Oh shit! Um, if like if we're bound together with this guy, and like we have negative thoughts, he's gonna make them happen because he doesn't quite understand that that's not okay." So they have this weird guilt about murdering the bully that they didn't even want to do. They all just dreamed it, and Duddits had it, you know, kind of play out. And so from then on out, they're kind of this weird, hesitant, like, we love him, but at the same time, we don't know, you know, what he's fully yeah. capable of. They have to stay distant because they're worried they might accidentally kill somebody else. Okay, I get and it. Like, they, I get... they talk about it several times in the book, like, why haven't we gone and seen him? And no one has a great answer, but the only answer they can play back to is, hey, remember that time that we all had yeah. this nightmare? And then all of a sudden we woke up and the nightmare we had came true? And so that's why they kind of avoided him until everything went sideways. Gotcha. See, that makes slightly more sense than the fact that they just ignore him. But anyway. Well, uh, we'll just leave that out in the movie because they leave a ton out in the movie. And what, I mean, why not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, don't need, you don't need it in two hours and 15 minutes. You got other stuff to put in there. You know, I hate to say it, but after explaining that, Mayor McCheese, I, as a, like a director, I'm thinking like, you know what? Or I could just ignore it. Yeah, that works. No, but that's yeah. that's the thing. Like there are literal that. things you can ignore in this movie that happen and they don't, and then you leave out like actual story building out. Duddits is so central to the story and he's inconsequential 
for two thirds of the movie, really more, he's in flashbacks. That's yeah, it. Yeah, let's wait till we get to the end yeah. here. We'll go through the plot. I think it's pretty interesting to see the difference between the book and the movie, and Mary McCheese can give us that little nugget when we get there. But let's jump to one-liners. IMDb describes this movie as such. Friends on a camping trip discover that the town they're vacationing in is being plagued in an unusual fashion by parasitic aliens from outer space. Mr. Wizard, how would you describe this movie in one sentence? Okay, I have, I have two. In short, the Galgamex vagina is three feet wide and covered in razor-sharp teeth. The other one would be, what if you took the thing, Alien, Nightmare on Elm Street, took out all the suspense and horror, horror elements... And made a really shitty movie, stealing most of their ideas. Those both check out. I feel like all of our one-liners are just going to be shitting on this thing. Probably. Yeah, I, Captain Cash, what say you? I'm going to piggyback on Thunderous Wizard. I don't know if I can do this in one sentence. But, hey guys, I trained an AI to read all of Stephen King's work. And now I had it write a movie, and it came up with Dreamcatcher. That's accurate, except I would replace the word write with vomit extrude fair barf not vomit it shot out of somebody's ravaged asshole in the form of a (laughs) dick with teeth (laughs) shit weasel vagina snake monsters okay shit weasel shit weasel cheese. what you got for us in one of the The, worst uh, stephen king adaptations a bunch of good characters and decent plot lines are lost to what is essentially a sci-fi channel movie wow that kind of hurts I mean, it, it looks better than a sci-fi channel movie, but it's written like a sci-fi channel movie. Yeah, but for I mean, those we'll get you... to it. Is, is some, of the, some of the special effects are good. Some of them are just absolutely garbage. I preferred the practical effects. I'll say that. The practical effects were good. The special effects were dodgy at best. I, I think, yeah, but I would say on average, this is an above average effects movie. It looked okay. It held up a lot better than other things we've done. Especially from 2003. For 2003, this is actually not that bad. I actually don't know what to compare it to, so that's probably screwing me up. Yeah. Uh, So here's mine. Four childhood friends receive gifts of a supernatural nature and become unwitting participants in a fight to prevent the invasion of a vicious alien species of walking vagina snakes. Solid. Solid. Yeah. Yep. I'm trying to be charitable here. Vagina okay, snakes with such powerful grip, they can not only turn the doorknob, but pull it back with no leverage. Because that happens. Oh, no, yeah, I think he... But... I, th- I assumed he bit it off. He was yeah, pulling he the doorknob. Pulling it. They. Re- I mean... Yeah, but I think he just bit off one end of it, so then it pulls out because he bit off the other end. Uh-huh. I mean, in the book... You saw him snap the toilet brush... <laughs> Yeah, in the book, the shit weasels are like crazily strong. Like they can easily rip the door out of the frame, so that's not terribly out of line with what should have happened. Shit for those of you playing the for those of you playing the drinking game at home, take a sip anytime you hear us say shit weasels. Shit weasels. And we didn't make this up. This is what. And uh, we're not even talking about Mitch McConnell yet. Yeah, this is the, the, the great Morgan Freeman. I I only wish there was a voiceover from. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption, where he says, Andy had to escape where the shit weasels go. <laughs> you, can, you can also circle back and start drinking anytime I say in the book. 
My oh. friend, Andy My Dufresne, friend. Andy crawled <laughs> through a quarter mile of shit weasels. Shit weasels. Shit weasels. <laughs> just, just elbow deep in shit weasels the entire time. Uh, My Woodchuck turds. <laughs> Elbow deep in shit weasels and rib- Ripley. Oh, the Ripley. Uh, and we'll, look, uh, we should talk about the Ripley when we get into the general plot. No, no, let's, but, let's, let's make yeah, it a plot. We can get to yeah, this in five plot, minutes. I plot, plot, yeah. yeah. So. And, and I do have an abbreviated plot here, so let's blow through it. Okay, so first off, uh, Stephen King and other influences that form this movie. So here, bear with me for this quick description. The movie starts out like The Mist, and that is with TJ with a gun to his head. And then it shifts to Stand By Me with the touch of the dead zone. And then it goes to the Tommyknockers with a sprinkle of it. And it finishes like a generic CGI alien invasion movie, a la Independence Day. So that's kind of the ride we're on here, folks. It touches on a lot of things, and it kind of rushes through all of it and doesn't do any of it particularly well. Four childhood friends rescue a special needs kid from some school bullies, and they are rewarded for rescuing the boy uh, by being granted some unique gifts in the form of special powers and a telepathic link. Can I get a question in here? Yes. So it is explicitly shown that Pete, the character Timothy Oliphant plays, has this ability, like he twirls his finger in the air and he's able to see... The he's line, lo- yeah, the line. He's the line. You can see a thing he's looking for, but you can none see the, of the line. Yeah, but none of the other three demonstrate this power. Is that a thing that is unique to Pete, or what is the story there? Book, book and movie, they they all get different um, abilities from Duddits when they save him. So Pete's Pete and Duddits can see the line. Um, Let's see. In the book. In the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the book. Well, no, and in the movie too. They, I mean, Pete can only see the line in the movie. Right. No, but I'm saying, yeah, but you don't see Duddit see the line. Well, what's confusing to me in the movie is at one point they're all doing it together after they rescue the girl from where Pennywise put her. Yeah, and I mean, and part of the. Yeah, that's a good point. That was totally pity-wise, wasn't it? No, yeah. no, no, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it in my statement. But yeah, they all get different abilities, so they're not the same. So Pete can see the line, but the rest of them can't. Okay, so let's do it really quickly here. Pete can see the line, so he can find objects. Um, uh, Beaver has... Hold Does on. Beaver get magic dick powers? Because he talks about how he just has boners constantly. Is that no, his shining? No. He's 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 clairvoyant. Um, he can sort of see the future. Uh, Jonesy Henry, has. Henry, I didn't pick that up at all. Henry. He can, he, he call he calls uh, Jonesy to warn him, like be safe. I'm not sure what's coming. So he's got some kind of weird clairvoyance. Jonesy has got the the warehouse and a little bit of telepathy, general telepathy, and of course Henry TJ can read minds. Yeah. Okay. Those I mean, are their powers, generically. Essentially, speaking. It, but they all—they all sell, all have a telepathic mental link to each other. So and Duddits. Yeah, and Duddits, so they can kind of as like, a group. Also, yeah. Be like, oh, I need to call the thunderous wizard because we have a mind link, like that yeah. kind of nonsense. Yeah. So let, 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 let's 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 blast through this. There'll be more questions as we go. So okay. So the boys rescue Duddits from the bullies. They get their gifts. Flash forward 20 years, and we see that the four kids are now adults, and they're handling their powers in different ways, some better than others, hence the 
part that starts like the mist. But anyway, and they make plans to visit Duddits, uh, and this is all derailed when Jonesy is hit by a car while having a hallucination where he thinks he sees Duddits as he appears as a child across the street. Flash forward another year or two ahead, and the boys are now together on their annual hunting trip in the backwoods of Maine at the Hole in the Wall cabin, where apparently they've been coming every year to reminisce about being friends and their buddy Duddits, but they don't invite Duddits because I guess they treat him like he's dead. Listen, Duddits, Duddits would be a liability in the big orgy that we all know that they have that just wasn't in this movie. It's like Brokeback Mountain, but there's four of them. Okay, um... So, when at the cabin, the friends split up. Beeve and Jonesy encounter a lost hunter uh, that's got some obvious GI issues going on. And Henry and Pete encounter the other half of the distressed hunting party while they're getting supplies from the local store in the form of a lone woman who is crouching in the middle of the road. And Beeve supplies and... mostly being beer. Beer, yeah. Beer and hot dogs. I need more supplies. Beer. Yeah. So, uh, Beeve and Jonesy also witness a mass exodus of wildlife running from something and showing signs of a red rash, like the one seen on the Lost Hunter they picked up. Both of these, like, Lost Hunter situations go poorly for our Losers Club. The man bursts a shit weasel that kills Beeve, and the woman's shit weasel almost bites off Pete's dick. Jonesy is possessed by the alien entity known as Mr. Gray and they attempt to make their way together to civilization via snowmobile. Henry returns to the cabin and discovers it to be covered in a, a red fungus and just to be a fungus-infested hellhole, and he also discovers that the vagina snake monster's nest has eggs in it, and he then proceeds to burn and stomp the alien eggs. This bugs Jonesy, the shit out of me. What? What is the life cycle of the shit weasel? Because very okay. clearly, there is some kind of thing where they're doing the alien impregnation, and they do the butt buster as opposed to the chest buster. Yeah. But then they also lay eggs. I, I've got I've got I've got an answer for you. I've got an answer here for you. So it appears that when the aliens come to Earth, okay, they can't reproduce. The large walking vagina snake monsters don't reproduce. What they have to do is spread the fungus. Okay. okay. They spread the fungus, the the Ripley. And okay. then the Ripley infects people, and not all, but some of the people infected with the Ripley develop the shit weasel in their gut. The shit weasel in their gut then exits and lays eggs, and it makes more little baby shit weasels. This is not how I Do you want, do you want I me to correct it. all this now or later? No, because yes, that's, that's, this now, that's the way well, the movie presents it, though. That's the way the movie presents it. Yeah, but before... They, they talk about, like, not everybody that gets the fungus has has a shit weasel. Yeah. Well, but when you do get a shit weasel, they come out, and then they lay eggs, and they have little baby shit weasels. Before let, McCheese let goes... Wizard give his view. So here is how I took it. Obviously, this is spoiling the ending. But there was there's good aliens and there's bad aliens. So that that's not it because the way the not, movie well, the, the way the movie the spins it is that oh some people survive and in my mind because when they literally commit alien genocide and they're like the aliens are saying we're not we're we're in danger help help those were the good aliens and the aliens who turned into the giant. No, evil. That that that, that was that was uh, propaganda. Again, 
probably yeah, could. Well, no, so, there was, again, the, mo- the movie not doing any sort of explanation or justice to the original story. Yeah, because the way the movie spins it like that, then it inevitably makes no sense because you'll get to the end, and the end makes it pretty clear, like, there's good and there's evil. Yeah, and the, Mr. End, the end is even evil. gets it more confusing because there's a good and an evil, and that isn't how it plays out in the original story. Yeah, okay. it, it's it's a really weird take, Mr. Wizard, you're right, because you want to think that Morgan Freeman is wrong in saying that the aliens are bad. Like, he's, he's, he's just bloodthirsty, right? Yes. And when the aliens are begging for mercy, you're supposed to be like, oh, see, he doesn't understand, he's just killing him. No, that's them basically doing a Mr. Gray trick. They are telepathically trying to trick people into don't hey no no don't kill us we're we're not trying to invade you no they are trying so, to so invade so this movie us. is even worse than i thought because yeah, yeah it, it, it and because again it, it it doesn't like if you would have taken five to ten minutes at the beginning beginning or even at this point which is probably 30 minutes in to just give a quick rundown through well it's curtis in the movie but kurtz's eyes since he already explained that he's been fighting oh, them for 25 it, years darkest turn to africa if you would give just a brief rundown of how this whole thing plays out, it would have saved so much BS. So wait, so what's the life cycle? Because what I was saying is basically the fungus spreads the shit weasels, the shit weasels birth the eggs, and the eggs end up being the 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 vagina the walking vagina snake monsters, right? So so in the book, they're, they're shit weasels and, too. No, I th- no, I think I think they're the big aliens. I think the babies are the big aliens. No, shit the, weasel the, eggs aren't more shit weasels. I thought a shit weasel became a big alien. Yeah. yeah. Right, so, yeah. All right. All right. Let me let me let me get in here. So okay. In, in the book, there is what's called the Byram, the Byrus, and the Gray Boys. And the Byram is essentially the shit weasel. The Byrus is the fungus. And mm-hmm. the Grey Boys is the mutated version of the shit weasel once it gets to its final stage. Ah. And so the the fungus can invade people and try to telepathically link them to the shit weasel and get them to do whatever the shit weasel wants. And the shit weasel, once it turns into a Grey Boy, can control everything below it. But, and I don't know if I'm going too far. Um, or not far enough. Well, no, I don't know if I'm going too far in the explanation because we're just at the beginning of the plot. But the reason it hasn't worked in the last 25 years, which we just talked about, is that Earth is not a, a, a habitable place for this whole Byron virus, gray boys thing. Like they don't fit in here. It almost is mm-hmm. like a signs thing where they're, oh, water. Um, so they don't do a good job of explaining any of this in the movie. And they're just like, Oh, there's some stuff and there's some other stuff and there's some things and you should be afraid of all of it. But also there's a good side of all that stuff, which is not how the book plays out. Okay. That, that makes more sense. So I, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're wrong because there's no so, explanation. So, so shit, shit yeah, weasels I mean, hatch more shit weasels. So shit weasels hatch more shit weasels, and if okay. they stay alive long enough in our current climate, if you will, or uh, world, they turn into gray boys, and the gray boys are the aliens. But in the book, the gray boys are literally just a very knowledgeable alien species. They don't turn back into giant shit weasels, which. We've gone very far ahead. Oh, yeah. so, so it also rips off They Live. Yeah, I mean, it, 
Yeah. We're gonna take over, we're gonna take over your society because we know what's best for you. Oh, oh yeah, it does that. I mean, and this is what this is the disconnect that you don't get by actually going into yeah. Earth's backstory, where they they want to take over Earth, and how they explain it is like how they literally explain it through Mister Gray's eyes, through Jonesy, is like we've always come on our ships, we've always dominated. We've always talked the locals into becoming us, and then we take the planet. Interesting. But none, well, of, it, that, it, none of that is explained in it, the it, movie. They just well, kind of like, they, they, they yada, yada, yada through various points until they get to the end, and they're like, and it's a movie. <laughs> well, hold on. We'll, we'll come to it. Let's, let's get through the rest of this plot. But there is one line, basically, in the movie that does kind of allude to what you've just described there, Mayor McCheese. Uh, where, where were we in the plot? <laughs> the Aristocats. All I know is right it now. sounds like both the, the book and in both the book and movie, uh, the homicidal, uh, insane army general who wants to commit the genocide is the good guy. Yeah. So he's where not we... the good guy. He's just not wrong. Yeah, yeah he's right. He's right genocide. for the wrong reasons. Um, so where we were was Thomas Jane was stomping and burning the alien eggs at the cabin that was covered in the Ripley. Uh, Jonesy slash Mr. Gray find Pete along the road and proceeds to bite him in half before. Uh, you missed, you missed the backup. He gets Pete and then makes him do the follow the line trick. Yeah, I was just going to skip that because it doesn't matter. Because he bites him in half before proceeding on to the highway. Uh, this is also where we get introduced to the army characters that we've just been talking about. We get Colonel Curtis, played by none other than Morgan Freeman. And I'll say it now, this is probably the only movie that I've ever seen where it gets worse when Morgan Freeman shows up. And Owen Underhill, played by Tom Sizemore. Apparently the army has been aware of and fighting these alien invasions for at least 25 years. And this is the line I'm talking about, Mayor McCheese. Uh, I believe we get something from Colonel Curtis to the extent of, and anywhere these guys have showed up, they've always tried to make it a home. So basically, they don't come in peace. They come to dominate. So that's what they're here to do. Although there's no backstory explanation. That's just his theory yeah, as far as and, we know. But obviously, no, it has I mean, something that's got basis in the book, but there's no backstory we get other than that one line. Yeah, and, and the other part is, is like, that is the actual precipice of where Kurtz and Owen become mortal enemies in the book, and you don't have that in the movie. It's but not a we'll clear talk, line. Yeah. We'll talk about it later, because that's actually a fairly interesting plot line that they just skip and then fill in with a bunch of bullshit. Um, but yep. again, we'll talk about it in a bit. No, McCheese is not wrong. We do get some more bullshit. And then we get a scene where the army helicopters gun down hundreds of the walking vagina snakes as they plead for mercy telepathically. Uh, the army has a huge area quarantined and Colonel Curtis wants to kill all the quarantined Americans to prevent the spread of the fungus slash Ripley. Henry is then captured by the army and persuades Underhill to betray Colonel Curtis by messing with his mind and, and also to take him to find his special needs friend, Duddits, so they can stop Jonesy slash Mr. Gray, who is this, he, he's the guy that, at this point, you know, their biggest fear is a runaway that escapes quarantine, 
and that is Jonesy slash Mr. Gray. He's the one alien outside of the quarantine zone. I just call that. that is called a typhoid Mary. I just want to ask, at the point at which Hank confronts Underhill and starts telling him all about stuff he has no reason to know, and we've already established that Underhill has participated in the slaughter of a bunch of psychic aliens, why does Underhill not immediately suspect that Thomas Jane is an alien and shoot him on the spot? Okay, Captain Cash, I can give you two reasons why. Is one of the reasons because if he didn't, there wouldn't be a movie because that reason doesn't count? That's probably the right answer, but no. The two reasons I would give, and these are both very generous to the movie and its plot slash script, is one, that Tom Sizemore's character has obviously seen a lot of weird shit, like the aliens and all that, so he's probably open to you know telepathic powers being real. That's fair. And he's already seen it, you know, in the the form of the aliens that were trying to beg for mercy. And two, you can assume he's conflicted personally because he's starting to suspect that, you know, Colonel Curtis is not a good dude. So he's probably open to looking at opposing viewpoints. So maybe that's why he doesn't just put a bullet in Thomas Jane's head on sight. But regardless, you guys want the book answer? Yes, please. Uh, So in the book, the aliens don't communicate telepathically to the helicopters. They're just broadcasting on radio that they're not uh, a threat. Um, And so the helicopter pilots, all of them don't actually hear it. They don't know that they're telepathic. And two, when Henry actually goes and talks to Owen, he tells him a bunch of very deep um, like childhood stories on how he would know uh, that Owen, like basically how he could dig into Owen's past by being a help a p- telepath. And then he gives him a look forward on what's going to happen because above Kurtz, there's another general that they mention in the movie, but they don't kind of, they make him seem like he's the, you know, the good general, but in reality, he's also gunning for Kurtz. So basically Henry tells him, like, hey, just so you know, Kurtz is already on the chopping block by General 3, blah, blah, blah. Um, and also Three-star Kurtz... General Mathis. Yeah. Yes. And and Kurtz is out to murder you. And here's, you know, I can telepathically read your past and I can communicate with my friend. That's why you should break me out of here. Uh, yeah. Everything you just said, all the layers, the character layers... And the different things going on are totally absent from this movie. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like, That's why the movie totally. sucks. Yeah, the movie is, I'm this guy and I have these motivations. I'm this guy and I have these motivations, but can easily be swayed from them because I have no actual depth to who I am. Oh, I, I, I also forgot that he, uh, Henry explains to Owen, like, Owen's, he's actually somewhat of a good dude in the book. And Henry explains to him that Kurtz's plan is to literally round up every human animal whatnot which they kind of mention in the movie but he he wants to round them all up in the barn and summarily execute them firing squad style with while they can prove that you're not going to get sick if you've been infected because the virus is already dying on people they've they've noticed that in the book but kurtz since he leads a guerrilla squad his task is to literally kill every human animal and whatnot coming out of the blue zone so obviously that's alluded to in the movie like not everyone gets sick not everyone is or will stay sick forever or has the shit weasel in them 
But firing squad, come on, dude. You got to do your job. Flamethrowers. That's the answer here. You you ripped off the thing. At least use the flamethrowers. I mean, do the, do the blood test at least. Yeah. So here's my thing with all of the motivation. It, it's just, it's not that it's just surface level. It's that this entire movie is person chooses to do thing because if they don't, movie doesn't happen. And I feel like there's lots of move, there's lots of book backstory that explains it. Like when Beaver needs to grab the toothpick, despite the fact there is a shit weasel that will kill him if he gets off the toilet, but he keeps reaching for that toothpick. You don't there, like there it there is a lot of there is a lot of backstory on why that needs to happen. That's why and I'm cutting you off here, like they wait like you want to make this movie two hours and fifteen minutes, great. But let's focus on good storytelling and not just this absolute crapshoot that starts the second that they get on the snowmobile. Well, I, I've got some thoughts on this. Let's power through the plot and then get to them. Yeah, because I got questions about the end of this fucking movie. So you better, yeah, you better get there. Yeah, we're we're, all, we're gonna we're gonna get there. Henry is captured by the army and persuades Underhill to betray Colonel Curtis and to take him to meet his special friend Dunitz. So they can stop Jonesy slash Mr. Gray from reaching Boston. Dudix explains, once he's been you know, reunited with uh, Henry, that Mr. Gray is headed to Boston to infect the water supply and that a single shit weasel worm would end life as we know it on the planet. When the trio arrive at the water treatment plant, Colonel Curtis shows up and tries to gun down Underhill, and they both are killed in a shootout. Meanwhile, Henry has a showdown with the last remaining shit weasel before facing off with Mr. Gray slash Jonesy. Um, and this is when you get to see uh, Duddits appear from the car to take on Mr. Gray when he turns into his walking vagina snake monster form. And Duddits is impaled with his tail and all seems lost. But then he transforms into an alien himself and traps Mr. Gray in a cocoon that kills them both an explosion of red mist, which is similar to the red mist that Mr. Gray exploded into to possess Jonesy. So that was kind of weird. Uh, also, they definitely get Duddits from Duddits's mom, who theoretically is human. Maybe she's not, though? Well, I assume that an alien being inhabited the body of Duddits, just like Mr. Yes. Gray inhabited Jonesy. That was my question, but... If the majority of his alien species is evil, why did he become nice? Because the kids didn't let the bullies feed him poop, even though he could have killed all of the bullies whenever he felt like it? I, I, I get the... Because this is not from the book, but my head canon on this is that these are two warring species. You have a peaceful species and you have a warring species... And the the uh, the the, you know, the peaceful species goes to planets to try to protect them. They send a guardian, like a like a Green Lantern. So yeah. So my my interpretation is that it's like a galactic police force deal. You've got this peaceful race of aliens that sends a representative to these planets to protect it from the evil aliens. So in this case, Duddits is basically like a Green Lantern. This alien went to Earth and inhabited Duddits' body and recruited these kids to be his buddies to help in the eventual 
uh, defense of the planet when Mr. Gray's bad species arrives. None of that is explained in the movie. That is entirely in my head canon. See, that's the thing with this movie. You have to do so so many excuses for what happens because there's just no explanation. Here's another yeah. explanation. Uh, you know, Duddits just sort of took the form of the alien, but he always had those powers because he's special like that. There's just there's literally it comes completely out of left field that oh, Duddits was an alien too. Yeah. Anyway, anyway so let's let's finish this because because here we go. The movie ends. Henry spots the last vagina stink worm making its way towards the manhole, and Jonesy stomps on it. The world is saved. Roll credits. Dreamcatcher. The really stupid thing about that is we just talked about how these things aren't particularly hardy and this isn't their natural environment. Why am I to believe this one egg would have survived anyways? The full-grown one in the dog's ass? Sure. Maybe. Either way, it's all so stupid. He drives hours away simply to get caught when he could have put this thing anywhere based on the movie's definition of how this would work and doesn't. For me. Again, 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 in the book, this is explained because he tries to get... I mean, and I don't know if we want to wait to the next segment, but he tries to go to a, a closer town dairy to put the uh infected dog in the standpipe that was washed away in it and what i mean why does it not work because the standpipe's gone it was taken away in the storm that was referenced in it that cleared Uh, all of those old sewers when they originally fought it i'm of the mind that anytime stephen king puts one of those references in his book and you cut it out of the adaptation, you've done a disservice to what has happened. It's not a disservice. It's just they didn't, like, okay, you want to change, like, you know, from book to movie, things change. That's fine. But there's no there's no explanation, and there's no, like, there's no play out. There's no payoff. So, um, okay, so, you, I mean, you end up getting a, a half-cooked, a half-baked payoff that doesn't work because... You didn't stick to the source material and you kind of half winged it. You took the story and modified it, expecting the viewer to know the backstory of the book and then go watch the movie, which not a lot of people do. So you miss out on a lot of these conversations and back references and like things you're supposed to know. And you end up with one of these shit movies. So the, the big problem I have with this movie is that, it over two hours long, it still relies entirely too much on exposition dumps from our characters. Well, it, like, it relies in two and a half, on... not not two and a half, but two hours and fourteen minutes. They should have been able to squeeze in enough backstory to make this make sense, but instead, we just get a bunch of exposition crap. I'm no, like, this come is, on! This is this is essentially a movie where. Halfway through everything that happens, they're just saying, figure it out on your own. Yeah, yeah, you could do it. Just figure it out. You're fine. Oh, you know that aliens are here and uh, they make you shit a demonic <laughs> dick with teeth. That's all you need to know. Let's go on. And don't and forget it could have been, it, don't it forget been the, done so much better. Don't forget the foreskin tail. The clamp, talons. yeah, the, the, the yeah, tail scissors. talons. 
Yeah, yeah like, with, with the foreskin on it. It's so phallic. It's bizarre. It's like it's like a dick on one end, and it's like a dick with a vagina mouth on the other. Can, end. can I just say it, it drove me it drove me bananas that these two assholes pick up this guy who's near death and farting all kinds of terrible shit and belching, and they see blood trailing to the bathroom. Neither hunter picks up either of their weapons. They just walk in there, thinking, like, oh, can't be that bad. It's like there's blood from the place he was sleeping well, into the bathroom. Well, Pick up at that a point, weapon. they're assuming he's sick. No, at that point, they're assuming he's sick. They don't, they don't yeah. realize he's... You don't it drag is. blood on the floor if shit is normal. It also makes sense in the fact that, like... Like Henry doesn't want to be a hunter anymore. He hasn't want to be a hunter in a long time. And um, but but Henry's not with them. Henry's yeah, it's on the Jonesy road. and the bee. No, no, wait, no, wait, no, 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 yeah, it's Jonesy. Jonesy doesn't want to hunt. Yeah, 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 yeah. So hey, hold on. We we got orders of business here, gentlemen. We're getting way off track. Right, that wraps up the plot for Dreamcatcher. I guess if you can call that a plot, it is a little messy. As we've alluded to, but it is now time to rate this movie from one to six beers. I'll start off first. I'm going to give this movie five beers. I find it entertaining, and mostly because the dialogue is laughably bad. Again, I'm looking at you, Jason Lee. And I think about, you know, a beer every 30 minutes is a pretty fair clip. And so at uh, two hours and 14 minutes or so, that gives you time for about five beers. So, yeah, five beer rating for me. Mayor McCheese, what do you give Dreamcatcher? I mean, how high can I go? Six is well, the max. Theoretically I'm, six. I'll give it a solid six, um, only because I'm in quarantine days, so my tolerance is higher, and we watched it last night together, and I had a double gin and tonic and five White Claws during the movie. And yep. it was still it was still one of those things where I was just mad that they screwed it up so badly. I had four pounders of high life and a couple shots of vodka to get through it last night with you, Mary Cheese. So, yeah, I definitely broke my five beer rule there. But under normal circumstances, I'll stick with five. But six is doable and some bonus drinks wouldn't be but, out of the and, question. And, uh, I would say I would say six now during quarantine days. I would say I don't know four to five during normal days where the world isn't an absolute cesspool. Sure. Uh, what do you got for us there, Thunderous Wizard? Yeah, this is close to six. It's <laughs> I I'm not as big a Stephen King fan as McCheese, but I am a big Stephen King fan. And watching Stephen King adaptations that are this terrible, and there's a lot of them throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s and thankfully we seem to be past that it is it's painful this takes stephen king's a very good writer he's a very descriptive writer everything connects in really interesting ways and obscure ways this movie is just stupid it's a stupid movie it's dumb it takes what could be a very simple premise and a very cool eerie premise and totally botches it in every way imaginable. As I said, no tension. It's not scary at all. Yeah, there's some cool creature effects. But the acting is awful. The writing is awful. And by the way, we, we failed to mention that this is Larry Kasdan's second appearance on the pod as well. Because he co-wrote Solo with his son. I just... 
for the people that were involved with this movie, I would expect them to understand how to translate the source material a little bit better. And you got such a solid cast to portray your vision, and they just took a giant heaping pile of shit, threw some money at it, and they're like, actors, do some acting. Yeah. So, Captain Cash, what do you rank this movie at? I want to address the actor thing. So this movie for me is five beers. It, it's not good. It's dumb, and it's it's really derivative of Stephen King's work, which is weird because Stephen King wrote it. Uh, but it it's just not that exciting or interesting, especially if you've seen any of the other better Stephen King stuff. But to address Mayor McCheese's point here, when it comes to the actors, I don't think any of the actors are actually bad. They're all just wildly miscast. And you can kind of sense this. Like, they got Morgan Freeman to play against type as general blood and guts. Like, when you got Morgan Freeman in 2003, you expected oh, he's going to make a turn and he's going to see the light somewhere when he doesn't. You got Tom Sizemore, who has a history of playing like, oh man, this guy's one step from off the deep end. But here he's playing a character that actually realizes he's wrong and decides to do the right thing. Yeah, I I think you're right. I I think to a certain degree, they kind of cast this movie indiscriminately. Like, just, like, I mean, just names. Let's give us some names. It's a Stephen King thing. Call it good. Timothy Oliphant as the creeper of the group is maybe yeah. the worst casting decision ever. I've seen it's Timothy so Oliphant strange. in person. He's a very handsome man. It, well, like, they made him they, look terrible in this with a bowl cut. That's, yeah, that's that a mean, bad haircut. Bad yeah, haircut. They gave him a All shitty right. haircut and it's like, look, look, he's ugly. So he'd have to like, you know, be a creeper. I realize well, you don't have to be ugly to be a creeper, but at the same time, it's, it's just a, a it's bad, so striking. When a you bad haircut makes everybody weird. When you compare this to like how they casted the latest It movie, and how well that casting was, you're right, Captain Cash. It's a misfire on almost every front. And I mean, even even Henry, right? Henry, played by Thomas Jane, is the you know. At the end of the day, he turns into the action hero where he's like talking on the gun phone, all like gravelly voice, like, we're coming for you. We're going to save you. And the whole time I'm sitting here going, why did you not get like some squirrely dude to play this role where you have to wonder, oh, man, is this dude going to be able to do it? But you got fucking the Punisher to be. Yeah, you got the vegan police. (laughs) Yeah, square jawed bitch. Yeah. Anyway, well, hey, let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Let's head into the break before we come back to probably expand on what we've really already gotten into, which is our general impressions. We'll come back. We'll talk about Dreamcatcher a little bit more. Remember, no bounce, no play. Welcome back, folks. To our 78th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, brought to you by RevengeOfTheFans.com. This is your host, Chumzilla, and I'm, of course, joined by the Thunderous Wizard, Captain Cash, and Mayor McCheese. We've covered the plot for Dreamcatcher, and now let's get into our general impressions of this fantastic film. Mayor McCheese, would you like to start us off? Can you... Maybe give us a quick overview of where this movie deviates from the source material, because you are, in fact, our resident Dreamcatcher slash Stephen King expert. So, yeah, this is going to take a while, but we'll try to blaze through it. And you guys feel free to ask questions the whole 
time. Um, the big thing is that Mr. Gray is not an alien. He can't form into that weird biting alien body. He can't eat peat. He can't fight duddits at the end. That's not a real thing. In the movie, Mr. Gray is just part of Jonesy's mind, and Jonesy is fighting with him. And they go back and forth on that. And the only thing that Mr. Gray has on him is that he's trying to control his mind. And in doing so, and being such a good telepath, he can make other people do things. So when it comes to Pete, he uses the Byram that is, or no, virus that is already on Pete to essentially squeeze his brain and throat and kill him by just crushing his entire head. Um, in the movie, he bites him, and I, I guess that's a way out. Um, but there's also a bunch of kill scenes that they could have done better in the movie. Yeah, you do see a brief scene where Mr. Gray does kind of choke Pete, like force choke him. Yeah, and I mean... But the, he does bite him in half in the end. Yeah, and that's the thing. In the book, if they would have just kept on the force choke path, they would have stayed... Or in the movie, they would have stayed with what the book had because they're, you know, he doesn't make it from plane crash to Boston without killing a good bit of people. And in, and in one of the scenes, he kills a cop and he does it because he's a telepath by forcing the cop to shove a pencil into his eyeball and up into his brain, which is way more brutal than them just showing in the movie a bloody smear on the ground. And we assume that. You know, Mr. Gray chewed him to death because he's a weird alien uh, person. But that's not how it works in the book. In the book, vagina you know, the snake gray, monster. Yeah, in the book, the Grays aren't vagina snake monsters. They're their last evolution. They don't go back to the vagina snake monsters that burst out of the you know dogs and humans, etc. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the biggest things that I see. The other biggest thing that they didn't play off on is that. Kurtz and Owen in the book are not friends. Uh, they actually hate each other's guts because Kurtz runs a guerrilla death squad. And almost from the beginning of this mission, Kurtz, you know, suspects Owen of not being loyal anymore. And he wants to kill him. He wants to kill him badly. And in the movie, they just show this as like, oh, they're buddy, buddy. They're having like good buddy conversations in the book. They're going back and forth in this weird parlay where Kurtz is trying to act tough because he's the old 62 crazy uh, general who has done all these guerrilla missions. And Owen is his young understudy and he's not playing by Kurtz's rules. Yeah, well, in the movie, it's the opposite, right? Because basically you've got uh, Kurtz slash Curtis trying to give the reins to, of his operation over to Underhill. Right. No, and see, in the, he, they, 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 he's almost like, "Hey, you're my successor," which so in the like, in like the, this the exact opposite of the book, where they're kind of you know uh, antagonistic to each other. Well, in the in the book, what happens is they roll up in the helicopters. And, well, they roll up, and Kurt shows him that the aliens are using the radio frequency to broadcast for help in various languages. And Owen feels slightly sympathetic, but he understands that they have to kill these people, etc. So they fly into that alien slaughtering battle and Kurtz at the last moment backs out just expecting Owen to be stupid and fly too close and get murdered. And Owen gets lucky and backs out before the aliens blow up the spaceship. But then he kind of realizes like, oh, um, 
he's not my buddy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that angle is completely lost in the movie or ignored. So Mayor McCheese, again, as our expert here, where do you think this movie went wrong in relation to the source material? Where did they just make the that one step that probably cost the movie a significant amount of, you know, uh, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is like, you know, this is a movie that it doesn't make a lot of sense. Where did it go off the rails in relation to the source material? Well, I mean, I, I think the I think the big thing is portraying Mr. Gray as being somewhat or well, Mr. Gray and the Grays, if you will, as being something that can transform into just giant versions of the shit weasel, because that's not real. And then the ending, Duddits is not an alien. He he doesn't have alien capacities. He's just a kid with leukemia and a you know, some sort of telepath that they touched on when he was a kid. And how the actual book ends is that Henry and Duddits, who are huddling in a car, use their mental capacities to unlink Jonesy and Mr. Gray, and they kill Mr. Gray in Jonesy's mind, and then Jonesy is fine. He's fine to go. He doesn't somehow xenomorph out of the body, and then he's standing there, and then he has to fight the Wookiee version of Duddits, because that's yeah. kind of nonsense. No. The thing I like about the hey, book hang ending, on, hang on. At, I feel like Mayor McCheese just hit the nail on the head of this movie. That's kind of nonsense. Yeah, no, I, I agree with uh, your sentiment there, Captain Cash. And I think what Mayor McCheese has pointed out is that the movie would be much more interesting if it ended with a battle in that memory warehouse in Jonesy's head, because that's probably the most interesting and unique thing from a storytelling standpoint and visually that we get in this movie, that, that, that memory mean, warehouse uh, is interesting. You mean Freddy's and again, library? Yeah. Freddy's library. So if they, if they Freddy have like Cruz's a psychic, library, is, if they have a, if they have a, no, Eddie, Eddie, yeah. if they have a battle in Eddie's warehouse, <laughs> Eddie, um, Eddie, Eddie Kruger's warehouse. No, I think that's a much more interesting uh, end of the movie. Whereas we get a very generic ending in the real movie and it's pretty much nonsense. Like, Captain well, Cash said, like the Duddits turns again, into an alien and he absorbs the other alien. It's no so it's so it's Hollywood like, as these two guys smirk at each other. Like what just happened wasn't insanely batshit nuts, and their yeah. best friend turned into an alien and absorbed another alien. Like hey, we did it. Let's and then burst into red mist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but it's in, pretty in, bonkers. Literally in the book, um, Duddits dies before even that whole end scene happens. Duddits helps. So in the book, Owen actually kills the shit weasel and then spares Henry because Henry tells him that they've already killed Mr. Gray. And at that point, Duddits is already dead. He's already dead in a car 25 yards down the path. That The problem is... They could have done so much better. There's so much better storytelling in the book, and they don't even come close. It like, and me and you were talking about it last night, Chumpzilla. Like, they get to the point where Jonesy gets the snowmobile, and then it's like a whole different writing crew just takes a story. Takes and over, like, yeah. We'll figure it out. <laughs> no, that, and you know, you make a really good point. The ending is definitely it ends on a whimper, but. 
the point at which Jonesy gets on the snowmobile and bites Pete in half is a huge turning point in the movie because everything up to that point kind of makes sense. Oh, and, and then, it's true to the book. Everything up to that point is very true to the book. And then, and then when Jonesy bites, or you know, Mr. Gray slash Jonesy bites Pete in half, it sort of just kind of gets weird from there on because they're kind of winging it. Because you're right, they they deviate from the source material. But anyway, so hey, <clears throat> well, I want to ask my. Go ahead. That's, that's the big question. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you guys got questions, I have answers. That's the big question. Like, I mean, you you researched it. Was there issues uh, in the development of this movie where the studio took over and said, oh, no, no. No. It no. Was, this is just it Come on, is the, what it is. No, nobody was telling Kasdan what to do here. I think he just... At that point, they decided, hey, we're going to take this a slightly different direction from the book. But I feel like they just didn't know what to do with it. And then they're like, hey, yeah. we're going to make Dunn, it's an alien. They didn't like, like I feel the, like I feel like I, I literally feel like they painted themselves into a corner. And then they said, and what if Dunn, it's an alien? Will that end it? Yeah, that's the ending we'll use. Good. Well, I mean, and, and we got to wrap this up. And that's yeah. the thing. Either, either you have Mr. Gray have telepathic capacity to get people to kill themselves or you have Duddits be an alien that can fight the last telepath. Because if you go down either route, scanners. If you go down either route, then you have to deal with the ending that you might not like. And the ending they might not like is you, if you make Mr. Gray a telepath who can kill people, then he doesn't actually exist in the real world. You have to kill him in the mind. And putting that on film as the end fight probably doesn't pan over well, but. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it pans over better than this. <laughs> no, I, I think I think to your point, Mary McCheese, is that you see Mr. Gray as the walking vagina snake monster in Jonesy's head. He exists in that mental realm as the monster. They had him there. They just didn't have the courage to keep him there and to kill yeah. him there. They, they had to put him in the. To your point, they had to put him they, in the real they, world. I mean, they, and they when they put him into a real world, like entire. They spent a lot of money making an entire three-story set that looks like the interior of a library, but they didn't want to have that be the finale. And they should have, because that's probably the most interesting thing in the movie, both like conceptually and visually, but regardless... Because actually, in the book, what happens is Duddits uses his channel to get both Jonesy and Henry into that space, and they hold Mr. Gray down in alien form and slit his throat while holding a pillow over his head. And while they're doing that, he loses the capacity to shove the dog down that chute in real life. That's awesome. See, that is a way better that climax. That cool, but it seems it's, like it, you know... There's you more tension, that, it's more dramatic. I would have rather seen that. <laughs> Someone can write that. They can put that on film. And they probably should have. Absolutely. All right. So rapid fire round here, gentlemen. Mayor McCheese, I'll start with you. Two questions. One word answers. Would you recommend watching this movie? Can I ask a question back? One word answer. No. Did it deserve to flop? Yes. Oof, that's brutal. And I thought you'd be the defender. Captain no, I mean, Cash. No, no, no. Uh, Captain Cash, same I, questions. No, no, no. You can have a rebuttal in a second, Captain Cash. Same deal. 
one word answer. Would you recommend watching this movie? No, it, it, it's just not good. Uh, Sorry. Did, no, no. Did it deserve to flop? No. Fair. Thunderous wizard. Would uh, you recommend watching this movie? No. And yes. No. And yes. Yes. And no. From Chumpzilla. Watch this movie. It's fun. It's dumb. And it did not deserve to flop. It should have made a little bit more money. It's not. It's not fun. Uh, read the book. Anytime there's a yeah. book, read the book. That's fair. It I mean, certainly at, sounds like the book's better based on Mary Cheese's uh, commentary. We're at the point My, in our history where you can get free audiobooks. You can get this audiobook for free. I literally downloaded it again last night to listen to the ending just so I could remember what happens after they get done and get past the military. But you can get this thing free on audiobook. And I mean, it's long. It drags on, but it's it's way more interesting than the movie. So my whole plan on, you know, did this deserve the flop? If you if I was a Hollywood executive in 20 or I'm sorry, in 2003 and you said, hey, we got Thomas Jane, we got Timothy Oliphant, we got Jason Lee, uh, we got the guy from Band of Brothers and Morgan Freeman. Oh, and we got Tom Sizemore, too. We're going to make a movie. I would give money to the. I'd be like, yeah, you know what? Check. Go make that movie. I, I'm nope. gonna bet. I'm gonna bet a dollar that those guys all thought that this was gonna turn into the thing. I mean, yeah. I, I think they were like, we got this winter movie. There's an alien. There's paranoia. There's possession. It's Stephen King. It's Stephen King. It's Stephen like King. Like this is like the thing. It's gonna. The, it's going to be a hit. People are going to get this because everyone loves the thing. This is like the thing, but it's not. It's nowhere near as good because there's zero tension in it. Mm-hmm. I honestly think part of the problem is in the creature design, and specifically, it's the eyes. The eyes very deliberately have pupils and look not human, but they are like terrestrial. They're in, yes, they're intelligent eyes. It, it codes as. This thing has a conscience. No, I've just just been purely black or something completely alien. That would have been a little more frightening. No, no, I like everything deals with the dearth of suspense. Doesn't matter what they look like. They set up nothing. Everything is so stupid, including Jason Lee scrambling for a fucking toothpick, knowing full Uh, well he's about to be killed. It's dumb. It's yeah, and all I, dumb. And I would add that the eyes on the the monster in Jonesy's memory warehouse are one of the scarier visuals in the movie. When it's peering through the keyhole and he sees the eye shifting around, that's good stuff. That's the closest thing to tension this movie has. Again, mm. to Mary McCheese's point, the climax probably should have been in that memory warehouse because – that was oh, probably sure. the most suspenseful and scary part of the movie because Jonesy's isolated, he's trapped, he's claustrophobic, he's in a small space, and there's a big monster outside of it. That actually built some tension. And they did and nothing then, with it. And then it just disappears. And, then, and, yeah. and I didn't They introduce it, it, they use it to great effect, and then it just goes away. And then he just hangs out in a room and he's fine. And I and I didn't mention it earlier, but essentially when a gray boy takes over a human, they take over the entire brain like they get everything. 
And that's why it's such a conundrum when Mr. Gray takes over Jonesy that he can lock him out and that he can keep him Mm. from memories and that Jonesy can do certain things. So in the book, Jonesy starts realizing like, oh, if I if I make this room bigger, I can have more space. If I can make this room have a phone, I can call my friends. And that's the gun phone that we were joking about last night. So he literally thinks of a phone and picks it up and like he does this several times in the book and he can call Henry and later he starts pacing the room and he starts making the room bigger and bigger and bigger and he's expanding that space that Mr. Gray can't get into. Yeah, it's clear the writers missed the point of the book because that's where the story is, that's where the tension is, that's where the drama is, but regardless this movie is full of dumb shit because they did ignore the good stuff. I want to talk about the dumbest scene and or kill. Um, I'll start first because I'm selfish like that. I'm going to give it to Beaver as Captain Cash, I think, or maybe it was you, Mr. Wizard, we're just talking about. He's got to have the dumbest kill in the movie when he dies for a toothpick. A toothpick? Like, seriously, you just had to sit there until Jonesy comes back with the duct tape, which they call friction tape. What the fuck is friction tape? But regardless. Or a gun. Get yeah, the or, fucking or, gun. And they, yeah. I mean, they are at a hunting cabin. and, and, the, and the But they only got they single got... bolt rifles for some reason. Whatever. Well, Jonesy is on a shotgun single barrel. Hunting. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to deer hunting, single bolt rifle is how it goes so, for the most part right in, in the in the book they go into this is america where, where are the m16s what, what's going on here it's just so deep into why he needs that toothpick and like how it's his like basically a comfort blanket so yeah when they get to this scene but it, in the movie there's no lead up there's no realizing like if this dude doesn't have a toothpick in his mouth he becomes a neurotic like, you know, yeah, he, he gets freaked out. Yeah. yeah. All right. But and but so, I, I would also so that might be the dumbest kill, but I would say the entire ending sequence, as we've already described, is pretty stupid. Yeah. Uh you know, I kind of like the Duddit's twist that he turns into an alien, but as Mary McCheese has pointed out, that's not the way the book ends. And overall, that final fight is really weak. It's really a cop out. Like they really just kind of wrote that out, like, and the movie's over. But they both it, stabbed it, each other in the back and then they hugged and they, CGI and they died. Yeah. 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 Uh, Green Lantern approves. So, yeah. And I'll also add too that even the showdown between Curtis and Underhill, like, that's just like a weird tacked on, like, uh, and they shoot each other. Da, 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 it's beyond plot, Like, plot right. point checked off. You know, like, the movie so, ends again, on a whimper. The movie ends on again, a whimper. And, and for people counting at home, take a shot. It's so much better in the book because Owen Owen goes up to Owen goes up and kills the shit weasel that's about to end the planet. And then um what's his face? No, no, Somebody, Tom Thomas Jane shoots it. Henry no, no, shoots no, it. He no, jumps no. on his gun. He's Well no no. In in the book, Owen goes up oh, and shoots oh, the shit oh. weasel. In the book, sorry. He's about, he's about to he's about to kill Jonesy, and then Jonesy tells him that they've already killed Mr. Good Mr. Gray. Gray but, yeah. Um, what is uh what's Morgan Freeman's name? Why is that Curtis? Curtis. Yeah, so Colonel Curtis Colonel is, Curtis. Curtis, or is Curtis. Hi- Curtis or Kurtz is literally hiding in the woods as this has happened because he's been chasing Owen the entire time. And when Owen comes back to go to the car, he literally shoots him in the gut. 
from the woods and then walks out and puts a dunce hat on him because he thinks it's funny. And then he starts talking to him about how there's war eagles over the reservoir and that that's his good sign. And then when you think Kurtz is going to get the best of Owen, who's already dead, he's dead and dying. Oh, or Kurtz's backup who he brought, who he already planned to kill shoots Kurtz in the back of the head and kills him and then just walks away and leaves Owen to die. That's how, that's how the military aspect ends in the book. Ugh, that's brutal. So the real question I have again, Mary me cheese, what's the dumbest scene or kill in the movie for you movie? Don't get the book in here. Just the movie. Oh God. The dumbest scene or the dumbest kill either or take a pick. I mean, I mean, I'm going to easily loft it up to the end because Duddits is not a fucking alien. Like, that doesn't need to happen. He doesn't need to turn into a weird alien Chewbacca and then suddenly take down the other alien because that's unnecessary. Yeah, it was a weird uh, sexual embrace that killed them both. Okay, I'll also, accept that. Well, no, also, I, no, well, I, I have a second. I'm going I'm, okay. to have to say it because it bothers me, is that how somehow... Owen and Kurtz get into a helicopter versus man fight and Owen wins by shooting the plane with a gun. It's a helicopter and that gun came from uh, John Wayne. So it's a magic yes, gun. That was, yeah, that's John Wayne's ivory <sighs> 45 that apparently can shoot down a fucking helicopter. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thunderous Wizard, you're dumbest scene and or kill and if it's one of the way one of the ones we've already talked about just uh give, it, just give us a check second. it off the the helicopter is pretty clear because the gun that is on the helicopter would have just eviscerated underhill and it's he like shoots it down cow, right yeah with a yes. pistol but to I me it's, it's a uh, minigun isn't it a minigun yeah but yeah i think it's like a 50 cal hey, hey wait, hold it's, on uh, i have definitely taken down a helicopter with a pistol in no Fortnite, Fortnite? so <laughs> that's the same thing uh, totally really. totally realistic the, the dumbest kill is is clearly pete because it's in it's inconsequential in every way first of all beaver gets his fingers bitten off by the uh, evil galgamax creature and that was he sick, it jumps that on his sick. crotch and he's relatively unharmed then it jumps on his neck and he's relatively unharmed and then we are treated to just a, you know, a series of pointless scenes until he gets bitten in half. It's useless. His whole character is useless. Then again, so is Beaver. This, again, it's just so woefully underwritten. Like, the characters are so inconsequential. Pete, yeah, especially. Those, those, those two get killed off first, so yes. The, the tough part is, is that Pete and Beave actually have very good character development that never happen and never show up and they're murdered way early. So you don't get you don't get the link in to actually liking those characters. That is a fair point. Captain Cash, your dumbest and or worst kill. We've already kind of talked about it as far as dumbest, but the Beave not the going for the toothpick, but the Beave death scene where he's fighting the shit weasel and he grabs the toilet brush and the shit weasel sort of bites the toilet brush. At that point, I just immediately started laughing like, cause it, it grabs the toilet brush in this really silly way and then snaps it to show you how strong and mean and scary this vagina dick with teeth is. Yeah. And I'm like, 
this is fucking ridiculous. Like, it was dumb when he was reaching for the toothpick, but now you have shot the moon. This is dumb as shit. That, that's fair. That, that whole bathroom scene's a bit... Just doesn't work. Unintentionally slapstick. Like, there's yes. a lot of like... It, it, it's exactly like, it. If you played Yakety Sax behind that, you'd think you're watching a comedy. <laughs> that's all I'm <laughs> saying. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Uh, so, it, one more question here before we take it to another break, guys. Uh, do you have a favorite scene or kill... And you know what? I won't be selfish this time. I'm going to go straight to Mary McCheese. What do you got? What's your favorite scene and or kill? I don't think I have a favorite kill because they all <laughs> came out kind of. They, I mean, they all just came out half-baked. Like, they didn't put all the effort into it. I mean, I think my favorite scene would be... I, I would just go ahead and say the first 20 to 25 minutes of the movie, because we talked That's about fair. this when we watched it last night. That's fair. It, it, yeah. it, it's actually true to the book, and it like it streamlines the story and kind of gets you in the mind frame, and then from there on out, it's just a shit show. Okay, that's fair. What do you got for us, uh, Thunderous Wizard? Uh, there's two scenes I liked. I love the imagery of the animals fleeing the 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 forest and then like it's kind of surreal like what what the what the hell is happening right now and i love thomas jane you love bears Uh, love bears i love thomas jane going into the bedroom and discovering the eggs yeah that was that that was pretty good that was pretty good that that is a pretty good scene um that brings us to you captain cash what you got Listen, I'm a tremendous apologist for TJ basically at every opportunity I have, but I, I still thought the egg scene was kind of like when he discovers there are more eggs, I'm like, oh shit. Uh, but yeah. my, fa- my favorite scene was Timothy Oliphant uh, getting his dick attacked and then having to hump the fire, <laughs> which was just so insane. I'm like, Okay, no, I'm on yeah. board. This is fine. This I, is cool. I thought you were going to say Timothy Olyphant being a creeper and showing that later car keys, and I was like, eh, it's a little awkward. Yeah, you know, whatever, but I am going to absolutely piggyback with what you've just said there, Captain Cash. I really enjoyed that scene and kill, because I know Mary Cheese has been dogging on it, but I thought it was great that you see him fight off the shit weasel and have to dry hump the campfire and burn his own neck to kill the thing only to then get bit in half by Mr. Gray. Like, well, I just love that. Cause you, cause like when you're watching that, you're like, Oh shit. Much like Thomas Jane, Pete survives. He made it. He could hand to survive. Th- this this dude's going to make it. Out. And then, and then he's just bit in fucking half. TV timeout. He actually fights off the shit weasel in the book. He literally does the same thing. He burns it and then drops a. He actually drops a lean to on it, but he doesn't have to go through the embarrassment of getting eaten by a non-existent alien. Yeah. No, I know. I know. We've been we've been over it, but I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was a good kill because again, it was unexpected. You thought, oh, he survived his challenge. He's going to make oh, it. No, he. No, nope. I mean, he again, gets that's fucking the off. They murdered two good characters really early in this thing. Well, and to be fair, that also sets up a, a, you know, a precedent in the movie that, man, anybody could die at any time. 
that okay. that was almost a good idea. Almost. Okay. Almost, except it's every bad horror movie ever. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it's still cliche. But, all right, listeners, we need to grab another brew, a shipyard pumpkin head, if you've got one. And uh, we'll return here with some more SSDD. We'll see you guys on the flip side. All right, loyal listeners or listener, welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. We have arrived at the competitive portion of our podcast. And tonight, of course, we are talking about Dreamcatcher. So that means it is time for our No Bounce, No Play Dreamcatcher Trivia Challenge. Tonight, again, it is the standard format. We're talking five questions, multiple choice. And tonight, we are, in fact, playing for a first edition hardcover copy of Dreamcatcher. You can get one on Amazon for about $17.88. Which is about 17 more dollars than I would have paid for it, but sure. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, the uh, chime-in phrase tonight is going to be, fuck me, Freddy, or bitch in a buzzsaw, whatever your preference is. And I'm honestly, because I, I was hoping it would be fuck me, Freddy. Yeah, uh, and, and frankly, that would have worked last week, too. But anyway, gentlemen, are you ready? Uh, fuck me, Freddy. Yes. Captain Cash is a go. I'm assuming I, I saw Mary Cheese blink, so he's still alive. And there was a twitch from the Thunderous Wizard, so he's good to go. Okay, let's just jump into question number one. Why was Jason Lee's character nicknamed Beaver? Was it A, he had bucked teeth as a child? Is it B, his last name was Cleaver? Is it C, his father was a big fan of Leave It to Beaver? Or D, he was always chewing on a match and or toothpick? Fuck me, Ferdis. Mary McCheese. D. It is, in fact, D. He was always chewing on some sort of wooden item. So they nicknamed him Beaver. It's very clever. Yes. <laughs> Is super, it? super. Okay. Well, folks, that gives Mary Cheese the lead at 1-0-0, bringing us to question number two. Initially, Thomas Jane wasn't 100% sold on taking the role of Henry. What convinced him to take it after all? Was it A, he was a big fan of The Stand? B, he always wanted to work with Jason Lee. C, his mom was a big fan of Stephen King. Or D, he wanted to work with Kasdan. Fuck me, Freddy. Fuck me, Freddy. That goes to the Thunderous Wizard. I'll take E. They promised him he could do the mist if he did this turn. Mm, But really, D. D to work with Kasdan? Yeah. Ooh, I am sorry. You are incorrect, sir. Mary McCheese. C. Captain Cash, can you steal? Chime in. C. Fuck me, Freddy. Fuck me, Freddy. That goes to Captain Cash. I. It it alarms me that Mary McCheese was so insistent on C that I want to choose it, but I'm I'm instead going to go A. You are incorrect, sir. Mary McCheese, would you like to steal? I'm going to go with C. You are correct, sir. Yes. You Thomas had Jane's the correct mother. answer. <laughs> you yeah, decided Thomas Jane's to go mom. against it. 
<laughs> yep. Thomas Jane's mom was a big Stephen King fan. And she said, no, take this, take this. Be the Stephen King movie. So we Which, did. Which, I mean, he later was, and it was... In the mist, yeah. And which terrifying. Well, he's yeah. in another one as well that's on Netflix. Also, though, so. suck it, Captain Cash. Mm-hmm. Suck it hard right. and So technically, he's long. in three Stephen King movies. And the one on Netflix, also better than this. I forget the name of it. It's like 19-something-something. Something, something. All right, so I, I believe that I believe that makes it... Uh... Two, two to zip. O and O, yeah. Yeah. It's two. It's two zip. Uh, our resident Stephen King fan here is running the way with it, folks. Mary Cheese has got a two O O lead. On to question number three. There is a soft drink native to the Northeast, mainly in Maine, called Moxie. What does it taste like? And this is a, this is a real thing. This is not a Stephen King thing. This is a real spunk. thing. Spunk. Yeah. Tastes like spunk. It tastes like Moxie. Does Moxie taste like a? fried clams Ugh. b jägermeister without the booze c a lobster roll or d existential emptiness fuck me freddy captain cash b, b. jägermeister without, without the booze that is correct it's a weird Woo! black licorice soda i've had it it's terrible it comes in an orange can and it tastes like sadness i gotta say okay if you're gonna make something called moxie it better damn well taste like a lobster roll lobster rolls are delicious or d (laughs) or existential emptiness although i think d and b could kind of be the same thing that was probably a trick question but anyway okay so we've got uh a 210 score here with mary mccheese in the lead followed by captain cash and then goose eggs for the thunderous wizard it's okay wizard we still love you question number four Dreamcatcher was definitely a financial flop but it did manage to outgross which one of these other stephen king movies a the dark tower b pet cemetery 2019 c the shawshank redemption or d secret window that's Fuck the one with Freddy. Johnny Depp. Captain Cash. Oh, I gotta <laughs> go secret window, and I don't think it's right. You, sir, are incorrect. Fuck me, Freddy. Damn it. Thunderous Wizard, it's can the, you steal? It's the, it's the Dark Tower. I am sorry, but you are also incorrect. Oh, shit. Your remaining options are Pet Cemetery 2019 and The Shawshank Redemption. Red Cemetery 2019. Holy fuck, guys. Did you not know that the, the Shawshank Redemption was a bomb? What? <laughs> yeah. Really? No. Yeah. yeah. So, so Dreamcatcher made I seven. I love it so much. Hold on. This will blow your minds. Dreamcatcher made $75.7 million. The Dark Tower, as fucking terrible as it is, made 113. The Pet Cemetery remake made it another $113 million. That, that remake was fucking awful. Yep. Secret Window, that's the Johnny Depp one, which I yep. never saw or knew about. It's that made $92.9 million. Okay. While the, while the Shawshank Redemption only made $58.3 In my defense, the Dark Tower only made $50 million in the United States and Canada, which is, I knew it, it flamed out pretty hard here. Yeah, these are international grosses. But yeah, I, I, I don't know how to explain this. Somehow the Shawshank Redemption 
only made fifty-eight million, and I think I think like the Green Mile, for example, made like three hundred or two ninety. Sometimes video on demand is better. Sometimes dad, dad is better. Sometimes shit wheels are better. All right, whatever. All right, well nobody won that one, so Mary Cheese, you still retain the lead. So this goes into question number five. And this might be my favorite question. I'm not going to lie. Which one of these films is not an adaptation of a Stephen King novel? A, The Running Man. B, The Big Chill. C, The Lawnmower Man. Or D, Apt Pupil. Fuck me, Freddy. That is going to go to Mary Cheese. B. That is correct. The Big Damn Chill, it, that was my guess. which is also written by Kasdan, I believe, was not a Stephen oh, King property. You don't say. Lawrence Kasdan wrote a terrific movie with very complex characters. What happened? It doesn't make any sense, yeah. And, and that whole thing is brought together by a suicide. It's a very Stephen King-esque plot, too. This should have worked. This all should have worked better. Again, a further example, this all should have worked better. Well, Mayor McCheese, I believe you've won here. I think the score is 3-1 to 0. You are the champion. Uh, Yes, congratulations. I'll get your hardcover first edition copy of Dreamcatcher in the mail right away, I swear. Actually, I might have one behind me. Yeah. And this cover is the one with the, the deer running on it, not the one with the lady in the middle of the road, for the record. This is the first edition. Let's get on to our recommendations. Captain Cash, anything but The Expanse, what you got for us? <laughs> I am going to recommend a TJ vehicle. Fuck. And I am going to recommend a TJ vehicle written by Stephen King. It is The Mist. All right, um, so so you've covered my recommendation as well, so do us justice, because that was going to be mine too. The Mist is, I think, from 2007? Seven, or, yeah. Yeah. Seven. And it is, was it directed by Darabont as well? Yes, it was directed by Frank Darabont. Yeah. And it, it, is, it is very much a Cthulhu, dark gods. We opened a portal to somewhere terrible. This entire town is completely fucked. It is bleak. I actually really wanted to do this for uh, our, think, our flops that go bump in the night because this did not make money. But... This film is so incredibly bleak, I can't bring myself to watch it again. This is one of those movies that is at the top of my list of movies I needed to watch once. Yeah, so the way I would describe this movie is that it's not great. It's not high art. But the ending is fucking perfect. It, it, it is because it's a bleak movie and it ends so bleakly. And I don't want to spoil it because I, I've, I've talked to people that haven't seen this movie. And I said, Hey, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's not a great movie. It's not like the coolest movie I've ever seen, but the ending is fucking fantastic because you don't see movies that end that way. It ends That's in a way true. you don't expect it to. And the closest parallel I can draw is it ends kind of like cool hand Luke. It's not as ambiguous. But it's just there's 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 a sense of despair when the movie ends. It's not a happy movie and it doesn't end happy. And that's okay because you don't get a lot of movies that end unhappy. This one does. And they fucking nail it. And the thing is, to Mayor McCheese's point, 
on Dreamcatcher, it deviates from the source material, but in this case, it improves it on works. it. Yeah. And Stephen King has said that, yes, this movie ends better than my book. So I would actually call this, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little uh, poetic here, but it's kind of like the all along the watchtower of movies. Uh, all along the watchtower is a Bob Dylan song, but Great everybody, Bob song. but everybody knows the Jimi Hendrix version. And even Bob Dylan says, yeah, the Hendrix version is better. This is a Stephen King book, but the movie is actually a better because of the ending. Would so. have also accepted a hurt song. In yeah, Johnny, those, Johnny are both, those are both good. Versus, They're both those yeah. are both good. Bob Dylan needs singing lessons and harmonica lessons. But anyway, all right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm off my soapbox. Moving on. Recommendations. What do you got for us, Thunderous Wizard? First off, 1922 is the Thomas Jane Netflix movie based on a 2010 novella by Stephen King. It's good. It's very creepy. Thomas Jane is much better in it than he is here. I said I was going to recommend a different horror movie, one I hadn't ever seen before this entire month of pods. So I watched this little creature feature on Netflix called Sweetheart with Kersey Clemens, who gets stranded on a seemingly deserted island. And of course, there is a monster lurking off the shore. Uh, not great, but good. It's entertaining. It's short. I think you'll enjoy it. Check out Sweetheart. It's on Netflix. Sounds good. Mayor McCheese. I got a bunch because, you know, I like to optimize my time since I'm only on here once every <laughs> six podcasts. Um, if we're going to stick in the um, we're going to stick in the Stephen King vein, either it is a go to for me. I like the original because of Tim Curry, Tim Curry, Curry. Out of the park. Um, but also the new one is fantastic. Um, book wise, I've I've been going through actually, I mean, since I've already gone through all of his stuff, been going through his son's stuff. So Joe Hill is his son. Uh, the book Horns is fantastic. And I just finished reading uh, The Fireman, which is if you would take 2020 and combine it with The Walking Dead is essentially. Uh, so, what... so 2020. No, I mean, I mean, yes that's... and no. I mean, there's different elements, but it's you it's mean it gets worse. Worth it. So, so you mean 2020 it get, it, and it 2020 in December? It definitely gets worse in the fireman, but he wrote it in like 2014. But he wrote it in a way where I just listened to it and I'm like, oh, that's happening now, <laughs> and it, it's terrible. So, if you're gonna go for horror movies, um. A24, Hereditary, and Midsummer. If you haven't seen oh, either of those, yeah. watch both watch both of those movies and get back to me on how those affect you. Just just for the record, I liked uh, Midsummer better than Heredity. Like Heredity was too of a too much of a slow burn for me. But anyway, all right. But I mean, if we're gonna get well, I guess you could take this offline. But how much of the background shit did you see in Midsummer? Like, how much of the girl killing herself with a gas mask did you see in the cornfields? Uh, all of it. That movie was super weird. The whole thing was weird because I had already seen Heredity, so I knew to keep my eyes open the whole time I watched Midsummer. I mean, so that kind of ruined it. I sort of knew what the 
I sort of knew what was going on there, but it, let's not get into it. Those, that's a different pod. It's one of those um, things where you got to watch two to three times before you realize how fucked up the movie is. There's so, there's so much detail and nuance. You're correct. Okay, so let's talk about our next episode. We're going to be continuing our uh, flops that go bump in the night series, and I believe next episode will be hosted by none other than Captain Cash. And he's going to be talking about Paul W.S. Anderson's pre-Resident Evil flop, 1997's Event Horizon, another movie that I love. It's going to get weird and eye-bleedy way up in this part. I also also love that movie. Yeah, listeners, you will not need eyes where we're going. And I would like to end the pod with a quote from Colonel Curtis. Go on, if you think this is easy for me. You're crazier than my mother was. Those poor schmucks that drive Chevrolets, shop at Walmart, never miss an episode of Friends. These are Americans. The idea of slaughtering Americans, well, it just turns my stomach. But I'll do it. I'll do it because it needs to be done. So if we start at 2 o'clock, we can be done by 2.30. And it's all behind us. Except for the dreams. Yeah, except for them. You know, if they had, like, a thing that would, like, grab the bad dreams and keep them from having those bad dreams, that would be ideal for those characters. So you want a bad dream catcher? I I mean, that's what, what a dream catcher is. <laughs> <laughs>